Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Winning's hard. Really, really hard. Shades of 2021 as the Texas Longhorns blow another double-digit lead in the second half, this time falling the Texas Tech in their Big 12 opener, 37-34 in overtime, starting conference play 0-1, and now fall to 2-2 on the season. And before we get into the recap of Saturday's loss and notes and nuggets from today's media availabilities with Steve Sarkeesian and some players, go ahead and introduce the winning is hard duo Cameron Parker joined by the managing editor of Burn Orange Nation Wes Scott Eberts and of course you can listen to this podcast on the Burn Orange Nation feed on Apple Podcasts Spotify Google iHeart and pretty much anywhere else you listen to your podcast and of course check out burnorangenation.com for some great content that's been covering Texas football all season long as we get closer and closer to basketball and baseball season as well. Well, Scott, I know you weren't up there in Lubbock this week, but I'm going to go ahead and say that you're probably glad you didn't go considering what happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I'd showed up at a fast food restaurant, there's a chance I could have gotten, gotten beaten down by a pack of Texas Tech fans. <laughs> We'll go ahead and just start with the with the field storming. I guess get it out of the way. Um, just disgusting, very, very unclassy, which is what you expect from, I think Texas Tech fans from what we've seen. Of course, if if you missed it, Texas Tech wins the game, storms the field, which is what programs who don't win usually do when they unexpectedly actually win a football game. Um, you probably have seen the video of Ovia Govu being shoved in the back. Uh, Texas Tech fans try to come back and say, oh, well, Texas did it too. And um, I forget, was it Michael Taff was the player who allegedly pushed a Texas Tech student, but actually it turns out it was a Texas Tech fan pushing Michael Taff, who ended up hitting a Texas Tech fan. And she later came out and said, no, I was just shoved in the back. And we got a few apologies from some Texas Tech accounts. Uh, a few others have not taken it back, but uh, suffice to say, just an ugly, ugly scene. And as Steve Sarkeesian said today, it could have been a lot worse. Unfortunately, no one was injured, but uh, if it happens again, there's a chance that someone does get injured. Yeah, you know, I think that there's a, a certain, you know, level of disrespect that Texas fans, you know, certainly expect um, when they go to Lubbock. Um, you know, someone told the BON account that she was in the end zone and prayer uh, players were getting hit by th- things thrown at them uh, when they were trying to pray before the game. Um, you know, the FUT chants, um, 
flipping people off. I mean, that that's kind of all, all typical stuff, you know, for Texas tech, but, you know, as I pointed out on Sunday and Steve Sarkeesian pointed out and uh, the big 12 later pointed out, um, it is a dangerous situ- situation um, for players down on the field. Um, you know, I would say that one of the more concerning things about something like that is, you know, a player gets pushed in the back and, um, you know, they have a helmet with them. They have pads on. Uh, they're bigger and stronger than whatever person initiated that contact. Um, their adrenaline's flowing. They're emotional after the game. And those are situations that could certainly, um, you know, devolve in, into a bigger brawl and, um, you know, a, a situation where people could, um, you know, be seriously injured. And so uh, Steve Sarkeesian gave credit to Ovi Kofu. Um, today during his press conference for his compo- uh, c- composure and his poise in that moment, not retaliating. Um, I, I think that's certainly um, substantiated, you know, by his behavior. And uh, Michael Taft even apologized to the girl that, you know, he was pushed into. So, you know, that's kind of how Texas players um, were conducting themselves on the field. I think, um, you know, that that's a credit to them. Um, but, you know, Certainly, um, it was frustrating to see the uh, level of vitriol coming from Texas Tech fans, uh, the amount of whataboutism from the piece that I wrote on Sunday when, you know, I pointed out that this is a pattern of behavior for Texas Tech, um, that they're regularly told by their administration and coaches to change their behavior, to stop throwing things, you know, on the field. And, you know, it's certainly not the first time that that I've been afraid for Texas coaches and fans, too. Um you know, the behavior from Texas Tech fans towards Chris Beard after he left um, has just been atrocious and certainly cause for alarm when Texas uh, went to Lubbock to play that basketball game last February. Uh, fortunately, Texas was able to get off the court and, and there weren't any issues. Uh, credit to Texas, the Texas Tech administration um, in that instance to for ensuring um, that the security was in place uh, to, you know, a- allow um, you know, the Texas Tech players and coaches, the Texas players and coaches, um, you know, to really get out, out of there in that situation. But, um, you know, I think it's it's kind of laughable that some Texas Tech fans think that my comments were about all Texas Tech fans. Um, there is nothing that was actually in that article that insinuated that. But it is a systemic problem in their fan base and culture. And it gets transferred from one group, from one class of students to the next, and it perpetuates itself. And that bleeds out into the larger fan culture, whether it's um, alumni or, or maybe people who aren't even affiliated with the program. And it, the result is a culture that is more rotten than other pro, than other fan cultures around the country. And all of that has been heightened, as somebody pointed out very adeptly in the comments on, um, you know, the post about Steve Sarkeesian's comments on the matter that this has all been heightened since Chris Beard left, uh, since Texas decided to leave for the SEC. So my concerns about the danger of playing Texas Tech in the future is that for all of the poor behavior from them towards Texas players and fans in the past, it's now at a higher level than them. And I don't understand why Texas would want to put their players and fans in that situation where they could be endangered by the behavior of Texas Tech fans um, when Texas is not going to be in the same conference with them. They're all you know, a fair number of fans who were very explicit that they don't condone that behavior. There are a lot of fans who decided that the response to pointing out their poor behavior was to harass 
the us and the Born Orange Nation account after that. And uh, I think that speaks to exactly what I was trying to address. And the comments from Steve Sarkeesian and the comments from Brett uh, Yormark, the uh, Big 12 new commissioner who fined Texas Tech $50,000 and uh, was critical of, of the um, – you know, security protocols that Texas Tech had in place after that game, uh, we're all very much in lockstep with what I said on Sunday. It's almost a a lose-lose situation, Wes Scott, because when you think about, like, college football, like, the thing that everyone loves is the upsets, right? And usually that involves storming the field. And we always see that, whether it's highlights or, or clips on social media or even on just, like, Sports Center, they always love to show storming the field, right? I think as a college student, you want to be able to do that. I know there was some talk against Alabama about Texas students thinking about, should we storm the field? But you don't think about the safety concerns that come with it. You just think about, oh, we're storming the field. And that in turn can hurt people. And fortunately for Ovia Gofu, you know, he's a level-headed kid, but there's a lot of other athletes out there that if that happens to him, you know, what's stopping them from swinging a helmet? And also what's stopping the students or anyone else storming the field? There's not really an incentive to say, okay, don't do this because our school will be fined $50,000. Texas Tech students do not care about that, right? They care about storming the field and celebrating. And a lot of them, for some reason, they think it's smart to go ahead and push Texas football players. And fortunately for them, none of them got hurt. None of them got swung at. But there's a lot of a lot of programs and a lot of athletes that easily all it takes is one hit. And all of a sudden you got a kid who's been knocked out unconscious. And I think, you know, to, to expand on your point a little bit, this isn't just a Texas Tech problem. This is, you know, a problem that happens in other fan bases, just kind of in, you know, researching the fines. I came across, you know, a few articles. There was, um, you know, a game between Kansas and Kansas State, you know, another rivalry. Kansas State upset Kansas. You know, Bill Self got pinned against the scorer's table for a while. You know, he said that a couple of his players had had, you know, kind of aggressive physical contact made with them um, by Kansas State fans. And, you know, I think, you know, that that illustrates that, you know, again, this isn't a problem that's only happens at, at Texas Tech, but it is something that, you know, the Big 12 should consider higher fines. The SEC, um, you know, went to that. Texas, I'm not sure. I'd, I didn't see if Texas Tech was fined for rushing the field against Houston. Uh, they were fined $50,000 this time. So I think I think they might have been because I think that's 50000 I think maybe the, the second escalator. Um, you know, in the, F, in the SEC, it's 50000 you know, 100000 So, you know, this would have cost Texas Tech, you know, $150,000. And, you know, I, I think the point of those fines is, um, you know, to make it very clear to the school that, you know, if they don't think that they need to pay for that security and to upgrade their protocols for helping visiting teams get off the field, then, you know, they're going to they're going to have to pay a significant amount of money. And I guess, you know, if the fans are going to storm the field and they're not going to try to stop that, it's you know, it's going to happen anyway. But, um, you know, I think the, the the SEC model, you know, might be a better fit for um you know, encouraging universities to do a little bit more about that. I know that, 
Um, Texas had some, you know, increased security um, from, you know, some kind of reports, firsthand reports, um, you know, from people who were there. And, you know, certainly there are some uh, reports as well of, you know, Texas fans throwing stuff on the field, you know, um, towards the Alabama bench. Um, yep. You know, that's unacceptable, um, obviously, if, just in case that, um, you know, needs to be said. But, you know, to have a, another football example, um, you know, last year, Baylor fans stormed the field before the end of the game, uh, which caused a major, major problem because uh, Dave Aranda wanted to kick a field goal so that he can he could ensure that Baylor would have, um, you know, the tiebreaker uh, point differential, you know, if necessary, which, you know, Lincoln Riley didn't really like. But, you know, as part of that kind of chaos on the field, um, you know, Oklahoma had some of their equipment destroyed. So, again, um, you know, not something um, that that only happens at Texas Tech, but, you know, certainly part of a, a larger systemic problem that, um, you know, particularly in the conference, they've, they've had some issues containing. If you're storming the field after beating Houston, you might want to reevaluate some things. That's all. Yeah. And I mean, some of the whataboutism from Texas Tech fans was, you know, about, you know, Texas storming the field. I think the last instance that I could find that it looked like people agreed on was, um, you know, 1990 against Houston, you know, when they were actually a good football team instead of a 1990, team. 1990, 30 years ago was the last time Texas stormed the field? Yeah, over 30 years ago. So I don't think you can use that as an argument when none of the students alive for Texas Tech were alive when that happened. Yeah, and Texas fans were on the court after the Kansas game. and um, That's true. That's you know, true. from – the basketball game and from my understanding you know they they comported themselves well and you know again to, to make also, this chris beard a, would chris beard would tell students to come down after every home game though and get on the court so it wasn't just for kansas it, it was all the home games from what i understand i don't think they did that every game they definitely did it a few games early in the season okay the kansas game was was certainly more of a more of a court storming Okay, well, we can wrap up that really fun-filled discussion. And today, Steve Sarkeesian has Monday press conference. Uh, a few players spoke to the media as well, Javon Sanders, B. John Robinson, I think a few others. Westcott, you were there. Uh, before we recap the Texas Tech game, any takeaways from, from Sark today or from any of the players? I thought one thing that um... – Sark said that was um, was notable was just the issues with um, having the pass rush and the pressure packages in sync um, with what was happening on the back end. Um, you know, coming into the season, one of the points that he made several times um, was about how they wanted to augment the pass rush by playing tighter coverage on the back end. Um, Texas wasn't able um, to play that tide of coverage. Um, I thought that they probably didn't bring enough pressure packages. Um, you know, Donovan Smith was a guy who came into the game, as we talked about last week. Um, he had been sacked a lot, was holding onto the ball way too long, had thrown five interceptions, um, excuse me, in, in the last two games. Um, you know, so in terms of looking at the Texas game plan, I, I think, you know, Texas could have been more aggressive to try to get, you know, Smith out of rhythm. Um, you know, given how his accuracy had, has declined, um, even, even at times during this game um, when he was under pressure. But, um, you know, also, you know, a couple other plays that, that really stood out um, that Sark mentioned was there was a, a third and long play where David Benda jumped off sides. 
Um, Texas was having some troubles with um, it's not really necessarily like a dummy snap count, um, like a verbal snap count. It was a, a clap snap count. Um, so Texas, you know, had some issues dealing with that. Ben had jumped off sides because of that. Smith, uh, you know, took a shot play. Jalen Gilbo, the freshman nickelback, uh, was in phase on the wide receiver. You know, Sark said it, it seemed like he kind of panicked, uh, wasn't able to get his head around. Uh, in those situations, as a defensive back, uh, you really have to get your head around if you're in phase. If you're not in phase, you have to play through the hands. Uh, but he was in phase in this situation, didn't get, ahead, didn't get his head around. And because of that, he ended up having a, a you know, a, pretty strong, you know, collision, just a completely obvious defensive pass interference call. I mean, you know, don't have to have good eyesight to be able to see that one. Um, so that gave Texas Tech a first down. And then there's another situation on another third and long play later in the game uh, where Texas jumped offside again, struggling uh, with that dummy snap clap uh, that Texas Tech was doing. Um, just kind of an, an undisciplined play. Once again, Smith took another shot play on that one. Um, Jameer Johnson was in coverage, the sophomore cornerback. He wasn't really able to get his head around and make a play on the ball. Kind of a you know, nice play by the Texas Tech receiver to uh, be physical, kind of lean on him a little bit um, and be able to go up and get the football. So um, that was difficult. They also, you know, Sark mentioned that they had a couple of plays on fourth down uh, where they kind of wanted to have it back and, and be able to get, you know, the, the Donovan Smith particularly had a couple runs um, in those situations, get him on the ground. And then, um, you know, another, another play that, that really stood out, um, you know, was a, a mistake by Benda again, um, you know, coming downhill, not having his eyes right um, on that touchdown pass kind of uh, dumped out to the running back when Texas was in man coverage, that angle by Jaron Thompson, who got picked a little bit by a wide receiver running up the seam, you know, certainly the design of that route, but um you know, not a lot of coverage busts and really, you know, egregiously bad plays by Texas, um, but just not not in position to make enough plays. Um, didn't have their eyes right too many times uh, with the linebackers and just weren't able to come up with some of the key tackles that they needed. You mentioned the, the two big third downs. I think it was one was third and 15, one was third and 26. Two offsides penalties. Not a lot of penalties from, from Texas overall in that game. They, they were pretty clean but those two penalties definitely helped texas tech on those two drives and really killed any of the momentum texas had and looking at the numbers west scott it's it's pretty bad defensively third down seven for 20 is not too bad but on fourth downs six for eight and going into this game texas defense held opponents to just one fourth down conversion on six attempts obviously that's changed six for eight. First downs, 31 to Texas is 20. 44 rushing attempts to Texas is 30. 56 passing attempts to Texas is 30. And the biggest stat, well, there's two big stats for me. 100 plays ran by Texas Tech, 60 by Texas. In time of possession, Texas Tech with 34 minutes, Texas with just 24. And a lot of that happened in the in the second half as well. Yeah. Um, Texas Tech ran 60 plays in the second half. Uh, Texas only had the ball for a little bit under 11 minutes. Um, only 74 passing yards in the second half after 203 um, in the first half. Certainly, you know, a, a big part of that was losing Xavier Worthy. Um, he got banged up. He, he was rolled up on um, on the second play of the game. He was hobbling after that. He was able to make three catches for 50 yards on five targets. 
you know, it was kind of in and out when Texas wanted to take shot plays. They Hudson Card was able to hit him on one. Um, it was a, a play. I don't know what exactly Texas's terminology for is it, but they were running uh, two high crosses coming across the field. Um, those are kind of deep, deep crossing routes. Uh, Worthy was able to get free on that. Card did a good job of uh, being able to step up and, and climbing the pocket um, and then making kind of an off-platform throw that, you know, was maybe a hair late because of that pressure. But, you know, Worthy was so far behind the defender that um, even the timing of the throw and the fact that it was, it was slightly underthrown, uh, scored a 38-yard touchdown there. So I thought, you know, that was really positive from Hudson Card. And, you know, he had another couple moments on the um, on the scoring drive um, in the middle of the second uh, middle of the third quarter that put Texas up. Uh, by 14 points. One of them was a, a third down and nine. Uh, similar situation where he was under a little bit of pressure, had to climb the pocket, was able to deliver a nice pass um, on time and in rhythm to uh, Casey Kane to pick up that first down. He had another play un- under pressure, uh, once again, able to escape, climb the pocket, you know, up the middle, scramble for 21 yards. That upset a Bijan Robinson's 40 yard touchdown uh, run. And, you know, after that, Texas had a win probability that was about 95% from ESPN. Uh, They weren't able to take advantage of that, and they just uh, weren't productive enough on that. Uh, The next three drives after that, uh, Texas went three and out with two yards, three and out with zero yards, uh, five-play drive for only 17 yards, um, and then they were able to uh, pick up kind of that miraculous drive with 21 seconds left, four plays, uh, 46 yards. But, you know, that – that constituted that drive. That was the only three completions that Card had in the fourth quarter. He was 0 for 3 on the other three, um, and that was 46 of, of his 74 yard, uh, 74 passing yards um, in the entire second half. So, um, you know, I think just not a, a, a strong job by Steve Sarkeesian of playing complementary football in the second half. Uh, something that you know we've obviously seen, you know, be a, a really consistent problem for him. Rod Babers, you know, had a great tweet over the weekend. Texas seven and nine under Steve Sarkeesian. Halftime lead in five of those nine losses. Fourth quarter lead in five of those nine losses. Double digit leads in four of those nine losses. Many of those double digit leads were in the in the uh, in the second half. Um, you know, and so as Babers said, Texas is winning the battle of game plan and preparation, but losing the battle of adjustments. And, you know, I think that's really spot on. And, you know, the Texas coaching staff on, on both sides of the ball needs to do a better job. Yeah, Sark has been talking about playing complimentary football since he got to Texas. And I just want to ask you, Wes Scott, where is your sense of blame for this loss? Do you blame it more on Sark or do you blame it more on PK? I think there's equal blame to go around. Um, you know, I thought, you know, Texas had a good, you know, kind of to the theme from, you know, Rod Babers was, you know, Texas had a good game plan coming out. I don't think the game plan was as good defensively. Um, you know, I thought the defense, you know, with the number of snaps that they had to play, Ryan Watts, for instance, the cornerback, he played 99 snaps during that game. 
Um, yeah. Just an absurd number that, you know, the 100 plays by Texas Tech uh, and the college football stats that go back to 2009. The only other time that Texas has given up 100 plays was against Texas Tech in, in 2016. Um, you know, so I can't say this definitively, um, but my guess was that unless Texas had another game like that um, against Texas Tech, that uh, those are the only t- two times in school history. You know, I, w- I would think that, um, you know, Texas ha- has given up 100 plays in the game. So I want to make an argument here and play possibly play devil's advocate for you for this loss. One side of overacting to the loss and the other side of defending the loss. And I want you to be the jury, Westcott, and let me know which side you lean towards. So you can look at it as Texas is now 3-7 and seven in the Big 12 under Sark. They're 1-4 on the road. You read the Rod Baber stat where Texas has now lost four games where they led by double digits or more in the second half. Had a 10-point lead at halftime that was blown. The adjustments continue to be a problem. We thought maybe Texas got over the hump against UTSA, did not against Texas Tech, and then trouble getting off the field when they needed to. Um, the 6-8 of eight on fourth downs reminded me of UTSA starting 5-6 for six in the first half and it really seems like now there's a game plan or a blueprint to beating texas and that's controlling the time of possession you don't have to pick up big chunks of yards because texas tech and utsa and even alabama they didn't average a lot of yards per play i think texas tech in this game averaged just three yards on the ground per attempt just six yards per attempt overall passing so just 4.8 yards per play to texas is 7.1 so the offense looks good but there's still a way to just a dink and dunk kind of down the field against pk's uh nickel and dime coverage but then the other side is well you can look at it as well maybe texas tech is a good football team their only loss is to nc state who is now ranked top 10 in the country you had a backup quarterback starting this game who's not 100 percent xavier worthy got injured you're missing moro ojimo it's the first road game for for a pretty young team who has played all three games this season of course at home in a young offensive line and a pretty young defense and you mentioned the depth not a lot of depth in the secondary so is there a certain side you you lean towards being right here in the situation Westcott? yeah i'd probably i would probably lean more towards the second you know i would say you know i don't know how much i saw a little bit of pushback on twitter i don't know how much there was you know in the comment my you know, phrasing was, you know, those stats are, are really an indictment of the Steve Sarkeesian era so far. Um, I think that's accurate. You know, a lot of it, a lot of it was last year. Um, but those are issues that, you know, Texas spent the whole offseason put trying to put themselves in a position to overcome. And that was certainly the narrative that, that Steve Sarkeesian advanced throughout the offseason. And even and even today when he was asked by um, you know, Jeff Howe, you know, this is something that that they need to be getting done now. And he said it is. It is something that they need to get done now. And so the two games, you know, Alabama, six-point lead in the fourth quarter, blew that 14-point lead, you know, had a chance to, to really put the game out of reach um, if they could have gotten a stop and, and another score in that situation, you know, even if the defense could have just gotten off the field. Um, so I think that those things, um, you know, as <laughs> – as much as I, I think it is fair to, to point to the, you know, the injuries and, and how early it is in Sarkeesian's second season, um, you know, the bottom line for me, as I summed it up yesterday, was that that's a trend line that they can't continue or Texas will be mired in mediocrity because that's what mediocrity is. Losing to a Texas Tech team in a stadium that they hadn't lost to since 
a lot of those fans who are storming the field were probably not long out of diapers, depending on the effectiveness of their parents potty training them. You know, who knows what that might look like in Texas Tech fan base. But, um, you know, it's just it's it's not good enough. Um, you know, right now, even even with everything else going on with the injuries and, and, and all those other things, it's 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 not good enough. If you want the glass hemmed empty look at the UTSA game, it was a four-point game when Frank carries through that pick six. And there's there's a possible chance that UTSA does go down and score a touchdown, and all of a sudden we're looking at this as a completely different viewpoint. And you were just waiting for Donovan Smith to turn the ball over. He just didn't do it. And credit to him, I think he played a, a fantastic game, 331 yards, but the one time he put the ball on the ground, the, the last drive that set up the what would have been the go-ahead field goal i forget who came from behind westcott you can correct me on this but ball was knocked out he fell down and the loose football fell right into his arms and that that could have been the turning point it happened against uts said they got the pick six but texas is negative one in the turnover margin this year that's 77th in the nation yeah, we talked about that before the season as well, that Texas uh, would need to protect the ball better and, and force a lot more turnovers to put themselves in the position where statistically uh, they would be able to win more games. So far, um, that hasn't happened. Um, you know, I thought that the defense did do a good job of being very conscious at trying to rip the football out. Um, you know, Texas Tech's ball security was pretty solid. They did have one fumble near the goal line that Anthony Cook had a chance to pick up. Um, he opted not to dive on it, ended up losing it. Uh, the Donovan Smith play, you know, one of those, you know, lucky bounces so far. Texas forced three fumbles. They haven't recovered any of them. Uh, sometimes, you know, fumble luck uh, is like that. You have to keep on trying to make plays on the football like Ovi Kofu did on, on that final uh, drive and regulation by Texas Tech that resulted in the go-ahead field goal. Um but one thing that I would like to point out, you know, we talked a lot, um, you know, last uh, the podcast that aired on Wednesday after I'd just gotten done watching the NC State game and, um, you know, watching that game, I almost came out of it frustrated with the game plan that Texas Tech offensive coordinator Zach Kidley had put together because, um, you know, he has a, a reputation as a rising offensive mind in college football. Uh, I think he certainly earned that with the production that he had at Houston Baptist in Western Kentucky. I thought, frankly, his game plan was poor. Um, as I mentioned, I listed a list of things that he didn't do well to really help his quarterback. He wasn't running motions and shifts to clear up the pre-snap, um, you know, reads for, for um, Smith, whether it was, um, you know, zone or man coverage. He wasn't running quarterback run plays. He wasn't running run pass options. He was running a lot of downfield vertical routes um, that didn't have um, anything in the quick passing game for Smith that was contributing to some of his accuracy issues, uh, forcing him to regularly make tough throws. And I think contributed to him standing in the pocket too long at times. Um, I given his performance with his game plan and his in-game play calling, I was really surprised at how much better it was against Texas. Um, you know, hopefully there wasn't a junior Texas Tech staffer who had to um, self-scout so deeply that he listened to our podcast last week. That would be a terrible job. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, that level of uh, detail. Um, you know, but certainly I think, you know, Kelly is, is smart enough that when he went back and did his own self-scouting, uh, you know, along with, with you know, his assistants and, and Joey McGuire, um, you know, I think a lot of the things 
that I saw were realizations that that staff had uh, when they were preparing the game plan for Texas. And, you know, you mentioned the blueprint um, from UTSA, and I, I think that, you know, made a big difference too. And so, you know, it was really night and day um, to the extent that I, I thought that Kelly really, you know, outcoached Steve Sarkeesian in that game, um, especially given the offensive woes for Texas throughout almost the entirety of the second half. Do you feel like Sark's been out coached now in two straight games? I don't really I don't I don't really think that they were out coached against UTSA. No. Okay. Does Quinn Ewers fix this? Is he the band-aid or we got deeper problems here with this offense? Texas really needs Savior Worthy in the game. They they just don't have anybody else who's shown an ability to um, you know, be able to get open on those shot plays. Uh, maybe later in the season, maybe somebody like, you know, Brandon Thompson will come on or, or maybe, you know, Tariq Milton is, is a fast guy, but, uh, you know, they just don't have anybody with uh, the speed and just that game breaking ability. So, um, you know, that's something that, that Quinn Ewers, you know, can't solve. And, and certainly, you know, it's, it's too early to, to say that, um, you know, he could hit them on those. I think, you know, Hudson Card is, is playing well enough to win right now. Um, I think he's arguably probably even playing more than well enough to win. He's he's doing, a, you know, a lot of good things right now. He had a bad interception, um, you know, kind of stared down the wide receiver a little bit. Certainly, you know, didn't freeze the safety in the middle of the field and then put way too much air under the ball. Um, on that sideline attempt to Casey Kane, um, you know, that was intercepted, but, you know, he really bounced back from that and, and protected the football. Well, I think his pocket presence um, is much better than it was last season. Um, so, you know, I think maybe some of the areas like uh, the ability that Quinn Ewers showed against uh, Louisiana Monroe to really um, go through his progressions and his ability to make off platform throws is something that that card just doesn't have. Um, in, in quite the same way, but, um, you know, especially if yours is in hundred percent, if they try to bring him back, I, he's, he's not going to solve all of these issues because um, there's still a lot going on defensively that Texas needs to clean up as well. Some stats for you, Westcott. Uh, now that we're four, four games in, we got a pretty big enough sample size, third down defense, 84th in the nation, 39%. Fourth down defense, 51st is all right. One for six going into that Tech game. And then Tech went six for eight and fourth downs. Red zone defense, 78th in the country. Opponents are converting 85% of their red zone trips. Six of 12 have been touchdowns. Another six field goals, of course. First downs on defense, 91st in the nation. And then I mentioned turnover margin, uh, 77th in the nation, minus one. Uh, two turnovers against Tech did not force any. Uh, Hudson Card's interception, they didn't give up any points off that drive. Uh, B. John Robinson's fumble, I believe his first, was the first fumble of his career? Or if, his third. Time third first of the season obviously tech would go on to win that and then some injury updates from from monday so yours did practice today xavier worthy he's day-to-day no structural damage but it's his it's his knee right um lower leg it was hard to tell it's kind of a it's kind of a strange play because normally when you see somebody get um rolled up on like that you know it's pretty clear um you know whether they twist their ankle or, or something like that and um you know watching the replay a bunch of times um i couldn't i couldn't see exactly what happened he didn't appear to turn his ankle um 
but it was a lower leg injury. It's not structural. Uh, you know, the x-rays came back negative, um, but he was certainly hobbling around on it. Um, you know, tried to play through it. Couldn't play in the second half. Mauro Ojimo, he did not, he did not, Ojimo did not travel. Uh, he had an ankle injury. Um, I think Sark said we'll know more about him later in the week. And then Troy um, Murray, go ahead and Ojimo. Yeah, they, uh, he practiced today. Okay, he did uh, practice. Where these expected back later in the week to practice. And then Troy Murray, he was asked about, he said he's healthy. So I guess the only question mark going into Saturday against West Virginia is Quinn Ewers, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he went through practice on Monday uh, for whatever that's worth. You know, obviously, Sark doesn't give out information about his level of participation um, in mm-hmm. team drills. Jadavian Sanders, Jadavian Sanders did say that, um, you know, he thinks that he'll be ready um, if they need him. Um, medically, I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, how to take that or whether that's uh, worth very much. So, you know, another week of uh, speculation on the, on the quarterback front, but, you know, it, it should be a week where, you know, Hudson Card's ankle uh, should continue to get a little bit more healthy. Uh, he was moving around better um, than he was in the UTSA game. Um, so he looks like he's, he's close um, to full speed. And so, um, you know, that, that athleticism, um, you know, making the right decisions, scrambling, um, you know, has, has been uh, quite good in some key situations in the last three weeks. All right. We'll be back on Wednesday's pod to preview the West Virginia game. Texas lost 31-23 last year, their last road game of the season, and the Mountaineers come in with a little bit of form, have won back-to-back games. They're 2-2 two and two on the season, and another must-win game for Neil Brown. All right, for Westcott Eberts, Cameron Parker here on the Winning is Hard podcast. Again, we'll be back Wednesday. Keep an eye out on the Burn Orange Nation feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Podcast for the latest, and of course, BurnOrangeNation.com for great content all week and all season long. Westcott, cheers. Cheers. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.